uh, we're going to talk about prayer today. And, and just so you know, my goal is not to get you to pray wondrously. My goal is to get you to pray routinely. Routinely. Uh, because it's the grown-up thing to do. Uh, you really don't need to be told how to pray, probably. Uh, it's not hard to figure out how to pray. What's hard is actually doing it regularly and routinely. That's what's hard in life because that requires being a bit of a grown-up. We're in a sermon series right now uh, called Rhythm for Grown-Ups. We're taking a look at the routines and the rhythms, the regular practices that actually develop us to be mature humans and mature followers of Jesus in particular. Uh, we just finished a sermon series on discipleship, which is defined as effortful growth. Are you sick of me asking that question? Excellent, because it's going to be a routine. See how I did that? Um, discipleship is effortful growth. It's growth in life that actually requires a little bit of effort, a little bit of self-application. And when we grow through effort to spiritual maturity, we develop grown-up virtues. And we talked about some of them. Uh, virtues like responsibility and reliability and commitment and stuff like that. Um, the Gospels are filled with descriptions of wonderful, powerful virtues like these and others. And then when we make the shift to the epistles in the Bible, uh, which is people's personal comment, amen, personal commentaries on, uh, on the Gospels, we get lots of encouragements from the great heroes of the faith to, to grow up, to be, as Paul says to the Ephesians, the mature body of Christ everyone doing their part that the whole might be mature and functional. Uh, I'm preaching this series mostly, to tell you the truth, because I covet models of maturity at Blue Water Mission. I want there to be lots of grown-ups in our ohana, uh, because uh, whatever you think of a grown-up, whatever your, your image of being grown-up is, that image was given to you by someone else. Someone provided that model to you. And we want to be able to provide models of spiritual maturity, a mature body, to anyone who wanders in or happens to take a look at us. Now, rhythms and routines are how we accomplish important things in life. Whatever important thing that you have accomplished in life I dare say it is because you have applied yourself in a routine and regular manner to it. We're taking a look at, at routines and rhythms that lead to maturity, that sustain being a grown-up in our life. Last week, as Jed mentioned, we talked about the, the rhythm of rest in life and how important that is. And today we're going to talk about, about routine prayer, just routine. Routine prayer or making prayer a routine. I mentioned how in the, uh, the epistles and in, in the, the personal letters contained in, in Scripture, we have all sorts of encouragement to be grown-up, mature people. And there is a huge amount of encouragement to be people of routine prayer. Not necessarily people of, like, great prayer, whatever that means, but just routine prayer, regular prayer. That's really what... Uh, we're talking about. That seems to be the key. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul encourages uh, the church to pray continually, which is fairly routine. I mean, if you're praying continually, that's, that's regular. 
on Colossians 4, he encourages the church to devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, being alert and thankful all the time. In Ephesians 6, uh, Ephesians is a book largely about being a grown-up. Um, Paul says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions, anytime you get a chance, with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. There's all sorts of alwayses in that advice. Prayer is something that we need to be at regularly, is the point. Now, please listen to this as a jumping off point for our examination. You can't say the same person for your whole life. Everybody understand that? You can't stay the same person for your whole life. Even, even today, whether you're making an effort or not, you're changing. You're changing in a bad direction, or you're changing in a good direction. You're changing in a bad direction if chaos and entropy take over. You know, if you just sit around all the time, your body does not stay the same, does it? It disintegrates. Um, but if you make good application, you will change in a positive direction. But there, there's a, I'll just say it this way, there's a spirit in you that needs to get out. The spirit that the Lord has put there. It's filled with purpose and it is filled with power that he breathes into it. There's a spirit, a living spirit in you that needs to get out. There's a life in you that needs to get out would be another way to, to put it. And, and all the flesh, all the worldliness in your life has to get out of the way. It has to stop being a restriction. The growth that God is doing in your life, the freedom that he is bringing to get that out requires, probably, new patterns, new routines, a new way of stepping through life. If you're going to be a supernatural person, if you're going to be a heavenly person, a kingdom of heaven person, then you need to be pretty good at supernatural conversation, at conversing with a spirit that is not at least naturally observable most of the time. And of course, what I'm talking about is prayer. You need to get pretty good at conversation with God if, if you're going to get that life out of you, that life that you are uh, meant to live. Conversation with God means getting instructions and encouragements from Him. That's really important. But it also means enjoying community with Him. If you want your spirit to be strong, you have to spend some time, some focused time with God's spirit. It's a spirit-to-spirit -spirit interaction, which is very otherworldly, but you have to get used to that. You have to partake in it in order to release the spiritual life that, uh, that is in you. Um, so sometimes prayer means talking to God or listening to God. Sometimes I think prayer just means being with God. One of my favorite quotes on prayer comes from Mother Teresa, and it comes from an interview that she gave. Uh, somebody asked her, well, how do you pray? What do you say when you pray? And she said, when I pray, I just listen to God. And then the interviewer followed up by saying, well, then what does God say? And she said, well, God just listens to me. And then I imagine there was a pause, and she said, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. <laughs> so, I, I could have, she's a woman I could have hung out with. I think, I think just being there, being silent. Uh, but that's, that's communion. That's communication nonetheless, right? Um, 
We model prayer as a community as much as possible. I defy you to go to any Blue Water small group and not experience prayer happening, right? Every group, what happens? Well, we make a circle or a blob, depending on the administrative gifting of the group. And we throw somebody in the middle, right? Typically, this is referred to as the mush pot. And we pray for the person in the middle. But when we say we pray for the person in the middle, what does that mean, really? Well, it means we might petition God to do nice things for the person, but it also means that we listen to God and speak out what he says or, you know, impart what he says. We put somebody in the middle and we just sort of hug them with a conversation with God. Great model of prayer. Uh, If you've been to any sort of Ohana group in the church or pretty much any smaller meeting, you have probably experienced that, right? How many of you have experienced that? At Blue Water Mission. It is, it is maybe the most routine part of our culture, getting together. Which is a long-winded way of saying, you know how to do this. You've already seen it model. You've already experienced it, probably in a fairly routine way if you attend uh, our group meetings. But do you do it routinely in your life? It's not the how-to that trips us up. It's just doing it in a regular sort of way. And that, brothers and sisters, is mostly the difference between immaturity and maturity. It's the difference between knowing how to do something and actually doing it. Jesus told us to pray a lot. There's a lot of prayer stuff happening in Jesus' life. Uh, Sometimes he was invited to comment on it. A couple of scriptures you'll find on the back of your program. or You can follow along here on the big board. The routine of prayer is what we're looking at. From Mark chapter 1, right at the beginning of what is the earliest uh, of the Gospels, the earliest written. Jesus has just begun his public ministry, and it's just boom, it begins with an explosion. It's going like gangbusters. He's been very, very busy. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. That That must have been a heck of an evening. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he wouldn't let them speak because they knew who he was. He's still in sort of the subtle phase of that in his, in his uh, ministry. So that just must have been just an incredible gathering. You just imagine what that was like. All this revelational and revolutionary stuff happening. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, the story continues, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon, one of the disciples, and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. What the heck are you doing? I mean, we just got this thing off the ground. It's going fabulously. You just revolutionized the whole town, and now you are hiding. Jesus, we got some things to work out. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and continuing to drive out demons. Jesus was incredibly busy from the get-go. I mean, just imagine the entire town showing up on your doorstep. But, as this story indicates, he was so committed to regular prayer that he had to get up before dawn in order to squeeze it in. 
but but he did that just as a matter of, of course. I mean, you know, things are just getting started. He must have been incredibly exhausted. So he gets up before dawn to escape the crowds. Not only that, but he goes for a hike. He finds a solitary hidden place where no one would bother him. I mean, clearly this dude was really committed to getting in that daily conversation with the Lord. Why was he so committed? I would not have blamed him if he wanted to sleep in and have a good breakfast. But I think, as the story suggests, he needed to be a very supernatural person. He was doing very supernatural things. You know, he was healing people. He was casting out demons. But uh, he was also off to be an itinerant preacher, living day to day without any money, sleeping wherever. I mean, he was living by faith in an incredible way, in all ways. You know, he was an otherworldly guy. He did not live like normal people. And right at the beginning of the story, we find out that one of the bedrocks to that, one of the foundations is prayer. How did Jesus know that he was supposed to leave that crowd behind? Hundreds of needy people were coming to him. I, I think probably he got instruction during his prayer, don't you think? So that he knew it was time to go. He got his marching orders, uh, which for me would have been hard to hear. Things are just getting going here. You know, there are still plenty of people I haven't reached yet. But uh, he heard from his father, nope, time to move on. All that based around prayer. Luke 11, 1 through 11. And here's one of those uh, profound teachings that uh, Jesus gives on the topic of prayer. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. All right, so right away, we learn a few things. One, prayer was was a regular part of what Jesus did because his disciples had been watching him, and they realized it was an important part of what he did, right? They come to him and say, there's something important about you doing this. We understand that. Uh, Two, There's something different about the way you do this because we need to be taught. You don't understand it. So they notice. And so being good disciples, they ask a question. They follow up. And he said to them, when you pray, say, and then boom, here it is. Uh, A model for prayer in church tradition is typically called the Lord's Prayer. There's a version of it here in Luke. There's another one in Matthew uh, that is just a tiny, tiny bit different depending on your translation. Father, The prayer begins. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Boom. There you go. Good little prayer model. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have no food to offer him. I'm kind of in a spot here. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Come on, dude, it's midnight. It's a long day. My family's asleep. Get back to me in the morning. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Because you bug him so much, in other words. Shamelessly. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You've got to ask. You've got to go after it. 
For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? You're asking for a good fish dinner. Nobody's going to give you a, a snake dinner unless uh, you live in, in the southeastern United States. The disciples noticed a difference when Jesus prayed. He, and I, I don't know exactly what they noticed other than he did it a lot and that it was important. But uh, my guess is that it has to do with this word father that Jesus starts his prayer off with. Father, or in Greek, Abba. You know, daddy. It's a very endearing sort of, of words. Hey, dad, um, make your name famous. Uh, your kingdom come. Your control come to my life and to the world. That's how it starts. Um, he's praying for a certain way of life, you know, the kingdom come. And I think that that's, that's what the Lord prayer teaches us more than anything else, you know, address God as father and then pray for a, we'd call it a kingdom sort of life. Give us each day our daily bread. In other words, don't give me a whole bunch of money so I never have to worry about it again. Take care of me from day to day. Well, that says a lot. You could do a whole teaching on that. We have, so let's skip over that for now. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sinned against us. Mercy, forgiveness. It's not the way of the world. It's the way of, of God's order, though. It's the way of the kingdom. Uh, forgive us so that we can be forgiven, is, how it says, is what it says in the Matthew version. Make us merciful people who revel in the mercy uh, that you give us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is what some of the manuscripts add, and it's what the Matthew version says. In other words, you know, make us people of goodness and, and not, not destruction. Um, it's a great model for prayer. Getting the kingdom life into you. But more than anything else, referring to God as a father, seeing him as a generous dad. And then Jesus goes on to uh, expand that notion a little bit by telling a couple parables, parable-like uh, teachings. Uh, first, he paints a picture of uh, somebody shows up at your house, you don't have any food to give him. That was a breach of hospitality in that culture. You always had to offer people uh, something, particularly if they were traveling, they would probably show up quite hungry. So you go to your neighbor and you say, hey, can you loan me some bread? But it's the middle of the night. The neighbor doesn't want to. But if you show shameless audacity, if you are insistent, if you are persistent, if you're just, you know, the thorn in the side, if you're that person, you'll get what you want. And that's good. Uh, which is a very Jesus way of teaching, right? Because it has a little shock value to it. You know, I tell you, here, here, here's the secret to getting what you want from your neighbor. You got to be a pain in the butt. So somebody write that down. That's going to be in the Bible someday. You want to be a pain in the butt. And that's, that's essentially how you should pray. Uh, but what I think Jesus is really going out at here is the shameless part of it. If you need something, ask. And you can start praying head, playing head games when you think about prayer. Well, well, what can I ask for? Or in what way shall I ask? Or, you know, what do I have to do to get what I want from God? And Jesus is just trying to simplify the landscape. He's just saying, well, if you want something, then you just have to not think about it and just ask for it. You know, don't overthink it. Just go for it. Be shameless about it. Be audacious about it. Be a pain in the butt. That's fine. Why? Well, because 
you're not dealing with a reluctant neighbor. You're dealing with a dad who really loves you is sort of the, the tagline uh, to this story. And he goes on to say, if you ask for a fish, you know, is your dad going to give you a snake? I'm, you have a, a good relationship with your children if they are willing to ask you for things they want. If they're afraid to ask you for anything, that's a sign of sickness in your household, right? So Jesus is talking uh, to that point. Ask, he says, ask. That's how you get. Seek. That's how you find. Knock on the door. That's how it opens. We know this. You know this. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Keep it simple. That's a great little teaching on prayer. If I were to do a, a summary roundup of Jesus' prayer routine and, and why, why he did it, there's so many, so many passages to cover uh, but obviously Jesus gets guidance from his prayer. He would go so far as to say, I only do what I see the Father doing. You know, I get my model for daily life by consulting uh, my Heavenly Father. Prayer, uh, he says again and again, is the key to releasing provision in your life. You know, God is generous, but he likes to partner with us in faith, right? So he's generous, but he loves when we ask. That does something positive in our hearts and in our lives. Right? It, it cultivates relationship with him. So, uh, ask and you shall receive, as one translation of uh, Luke 11 puts it. And then also power comes from prayer, uh, as we saw that in that first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. I mean, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, and the next scene, he's getting up before dawn to supernaturally commune with God. There are other teachings on this, but it doesn't take a genius to figure out. That must have been a key to him moving in the sort of supernatural power that made his ministry possible. Prayer is consecration. An hour spent in prayer is an hour that you do not spend in the world, right? In In the spirit of the world. And when we become spiritual rather than worldly people, the power of heaven flows through us more fully. But again, I don't really suspect that you need to be told all of that. I don't think any of those points are actually revolutionary to most of you. But my guess is that probably uh, a lot of you don't spend any time in prayer regularly, routinely, on a daily basis. Uh, because that's, that's hard to do. Why? Let, let, let me just go with my supposition. Why don't you pray regularly? Why don't you pray daily, assuming that you don't? Because you're busy, right? That's the number one answer. Lazy. Yeah, well, sure. He's lazy. The rest of us are busy. They go, to, they go together, right? You lack energy or there's too much to do, right? That's generally the sort of answers that you get. And I think that answer is is almost always wrong. I mean, from time to time, um, I mean, from time to time, I do really work 22 hours a day, you know. Uh, it's hard. Usually, I, if that's that sort of day, I pray as I go, but, oh, God, help, you know, that sort of prayer. But mostly, you don't fail to pray because you lack energy or because you lack time. I think there are two other answers. And the first run is you don't pray daily, you don't pray routinely because you're not a grown-up yet. You're immature. 
You have not developed the capacity for responsibility, reliability, commitment. It's just not something that's part of you yet. And I think in our culture, which is largely an immature one, that condition afflicts a ton of us. A ton of us. We talked about some of the distractions, some of the avoidances, uh, some of the addictive strategies that we use uh, to avoid what we ought to be dealing with. But yeah, I mean, a lot of times we're just not adults. And so it's very hard for us to do daily chores. You know, adults do their daily chores and uh, juveniles don't. At least that's how it's supposed to work. Part of growing up is, is uh, learning, uh, commitment, follow through, and reliability and regularity. But the second reason uh, that we don't pray routinely is because we don't think it does any good. It's kind of the most obvious answer. Mostly you don't pray because you don't think it's going to work for you. Jesus' prayers might have worked for him, but you see, that's Jesus, and I am not Jesus, and they're not going to work for me. And you may have had plenty of experiences in your life when you've prayed for something, like you petitioned God for something, uh, but you did not notice any good changes happening as a result. You were disappointed by your prayer experience. For me, this is the big battle. Um, I, you know, I pray a lot. I prayed routinely. I have prayed a great sacrifice. I have wrestled in prayer. I mean, I have gone for it uh, in a way that has been extreme. And as a result, from time to time, I get significant disappointments in my life. I mean, I failed to get what I want out of prayer. And that's a legitimate thing. I mean, that is a big deal. Uh, there are scriptures that address that as well. Um, I think anybody that invests in prayer has to wrestle with the question, is this powerful or not? Does this work or not? Here's my experience uh, with it, just to uh, ah, provide sort of a model, a characterization. Um, I get guidance from my prayer all the time. It is extraordinarily rare in life that I feel like I don't know what God wants. Um, and I think that says a lot about God. I think that says a lot about being in a community that sort of pursues his prophetic voice so freely. Um, it might say something about me, that, you know, I've, I'm enough of a person to fa of faith to hear God when he speaks, but I never, never lack direction. Uh, so I believe that's normal. I believe that is totally accessible. If I can do it, Believe me, you can do it. Um, the second thing I would say uh, about prayer is that I, I typically get pretty decent responses when I pray for provision. My life is very much a daily bread sort of life. I mean, I, I've bought into that, and I think I can testify. That actually works. Now, I very rarely have more than I need. But um, I have what I need. And I often get it, like, lurching day to day. But Jesus recommended that life, and I can testify that yeah, it kind of works. It kind of works. It can be very stretching, but, but there you go. I don't get as much power as I want, but I, I'm not living a life devoid of power. We see plenty of supernatural things. The killer for me, I can say all of that truly, but the killer for me is that I, I often don't get what I ask for in the sense that I don't get what I want. 
I ask God to do something, I pray about a situation, and it, it fails. The situation does not turn out like I want it to turn out. And I've had some grave disappointments, some heartbreaking, life-altering disappointments. And there's a whole bunch of teaching to be done on that subject, you know, disappointment with God. Let me just say a couple down and dirty things right here. Uh, number one, uh, God is not our genie. Uh, we don't pray to him uh, to get our wishes granted, necessarily. Uh, God is our father. He's the parent, we're the kid. How many of you have children? How many of you always give your children what they ask for? No, if you do, you are a bad parent. You're a bad parent. Um, and God is smarter than we are. And so, you know, there's a faith proposition here. If you ask for a fish, is he going to give you a snake? No, but if you ask for a fish, he might give you a nice quinoa-stuffed portobello steak. <laughs> you know, it accomplishes the same thing, and it may be better for you. Um, you know, you're going to get good things, and that's what we can trust about the Father. Uh, you're not always going to get your wish granted there. Okay, there's that. But here's what I want to say. I want to leave you with this today. Um, you know, God is not our genie. Sometimes prayer can result in a disappointing situation. And you can't give that teaching. Well, if you pray hard enough or you pray in the right way, it's always going to come through the way that you want. You can't say that about prayer. But here's something that you can say about prayer. If you don't pray, you almost certainly won't get what you need or what you ought to have. Amen. Prayer is a necessary uh, but insufficient uh, condition of, of kingdom living in advance. What I, what I mean by that is if you pray, it doesn't necessarily solve everything. But if you don't pray, nothing will get solved. Are you following me? <clears throat> you need it. In the same way, it's like if you have a lot of gas in your tank, that alone does not take you where you need to go. But if you have no gas in your tank, you for sure won't get where you're going. You understand? Jesus says you have not because you ask not. Right? So asking is like a precondition for receiving. Right? It, it releases. You could say more about that, but that's the bottom line. You, know? you knock and then the door opens. You don't find unless you seek. You have to do that application and you have to do it in a routine way. That's what, that's what leads to maturity and empowerment and guidance and everything that kind of fuels our journey. Prayer is necessary. Um, let me illuminate it this way. If you feel stuck in life, right, right now, if you're, in, if you're in that season, if you're like, my life is just jammed up. I don't know what to do. I don't have what I need to do it. <laughs> if that's you, I bet you don't pray daily. I bet that there's some sort of rupture in your prayer life. Now, if you do pray daily, your life still might be very, very hard. Right? But, but you're not going to be jammed up. Do you know what I mean? If you're lost... I bet you don't pray daily, if we're honest about it. I bet you don't have a routine and a rhythm. It's a necessary condition. You've know, you got to do it to release the rest of it. 
and then get on with the rest of it. Follow me? Do you believe that's true? OK, well, let's talk about routine. My first point about routine, I want to contrast mature prayer with immature prayer. Mature prayer is committed and reliable. Immature prayer only happens when you feel like it. Mature prayer is prayer that actually gets done. That's how I define it. <laughs> mature prayer is the prayer that you actually do. Immature prayer is the prayer that uh, you, don't, you don't do very much. OK, there you go. If you want to be a mature person, you have to pray routinely. I think that's inescapable. I think that's all over the place uh, uh, in Scripture and uh, from the inspiring stories that we have from history. Here's another point, though. Uh, what is a mature conversation like? If you're talking with anyone, let alone God, what's a mature conversation like? An, eff an effective, profound conversation. Uh, I sometimes have mature conversations with my wife. Uh, we've been married for 24 years. And we've developed uh, a way of communicating. Now, we don't always communicate wonderfully well. Uh, but because uh, we've spent so much time together, we at least have access to a mature way of communicating. I think mature communication is often to the point. Right? There's nothing that I can't say to Sonia. And there's nothing that she can't say to me. Uh, sometimes there are probably things that we shouldn't say to one another, things better left unsaid. But, you know... Uh, it's mature in the sense that I, I can say anything to her. She can say anything to me. Uh, so it's really easy for us to get to the point. Just kind of, well, here's the deal. And I think that's characteristic of a mature conversation. Uh, you kind of know what you're going to get in a mature conversation. This, too, is, is true of my marriage. Like, uh, you know, it's almost like I, I, I have no need to ask Sonia questions. I know what her answer is going to be by now, right? So when, when, I, when I go through it, it's not, it, there, there's less to it and more to it. You know, I'm, I'm conversing with her. I know what she's going to say. It's not just an exchange of information. It's more of a partnership building thing when we talk. You follow? Um, and I think uh, in a mature conversation, you can say things once because you kind of trust each other. Well, it's characteristic of a mature relationship, uh, but certainly uh, of a healthy conversation as well. I think it's true of God. I, I, I can say things. I know that he hears it. I can leave it at that. It's not complicated uh, to it. Bottom line, here's what I'm trying to say. It's quality, not quantity in your prayer life. What you want is to say things well and to listen well. <clears throat> Doesn't mean you need to pray for three hours a day or even an hour a day or even 30 minutes a day. In fact, pray for 10 minutes a day and it will change your life if you do it well. If you say things directly, simply, and listen well and do what you're told. 10 minutes a day will utterly change your life. It doesn't take a, a ton. In Matthew 6, uh, in his teaching on the Lord Prayer, Jesus says, do not babble like the pagans do, or the older translations say, don't mount up words thinking that God will hear you for sake of their great quantity. You know, plenty of pagan prayer uh, traditions where the point is just to keep talking. It's like you wear God out or something. Um, but that's immature. I don't do that, and, and God is not like that. 
You want to focus. Don't, don't meander. Um, keep it simple. Really, you can do that. Why? Because God is eager. He's a good dad. He's going to give you good things if you ask. And he's smart. He'll give you uh, the right things. Um, two tips to end, and this is really all I'll say about prayer. Faith is required. Uh, the thing that will cure, kill prayer is when you pray without faith. And this is the danger of disappointment. You ask for something, you didn't get it, and so the next day, you don't ask, you just complain. That will take you right out of your rhythm. Uh, and that's the battle. It's a human battle, it's a real battle, but I'm just, I'm just saying, that is the battle. The battle is to keep at it. That's the battle. Jesus tells a whole parable about this. It's called the parable of the persistent widow oftentimes. The point is to keep at it so that when the Son of Man returns, there will be faith on the earth. You've got to keep your faith. Really, God doesn't need to know, doesn't need to hear you ask things. He doesn't need to hear your voice. He can, like, read your heart. Um, but prayer is important anyway. It releases provision. It creates spirit-to-spirit interaction. Right? It's the partnership that we require to be supernatural people. Do it regularly. And to do it regularly, uh, you, uh, you have to have some faith that good things are happening when you pray, even if it's not the precise thing you were hoping for. It's not fancy, but I think that's good advice. The other thing I'll say to you, and this is just, you know, life wisdom, prayer begets prayer. If you pray for 10 minutes a day, then you'll pray for more than 10 minutes a day. Does that make sense? Prayer begets prayer because it begins to feed your soul. And your soul is not an idiot. It will notice the change. All right? If you, uh, if you run every day, your body actually starts to crave running. Has anybody noticed this? And this sounds like a supernatural miracle to most of us. <laughs> anybody crave exercise? You know? If, if you do without sugar in your diet for two months, your body will start to crave vegetables. Has anybody experienced this? Come on, it's true, people. There's like science backing this up. If you pray for 10 minutes a day, it will change what you crave. If you do it regularly. And that means you're changing as a person which means that there's a life in you, a spirit in you, that's going to get out in a new way. You're going to grow up and then look out. Let's pray. Don't wait for me. Start. Father, uh, thank you uh, for your agenda for each person in the room, and I pray that we'd all be changed at least a little bit before we go. Uh, speak, Lord. Uh, we listen. Uh, respond, Lord, uh, because we're praying. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen.